It's me again. <laughs> My name's Chad. Uh, if you're new, may I be the first to say welcome. And we're so thankful. If you're giving us a try, we encourage you more to give Jesus a try um, and to know that he is truly the most important person in the room, not just this room, but every room. You go home, guess what? He's there. He's asking for your heart, asking for your life. Uh, we're in uh, Luke's gospel. If you want to turn in your copy of God's word to Luke chapter 20, uh, we're finishing up that chapter this week. And uh, as you're doing that, I want to just recognize uh, something great that Jesus did last week. Uh, if you were here, I asked both services. We prayed for Steve Baumgart, um, who was in the hospital with an infection. And we stretched our hands and we asked the Lord to heal. And that afternoon, they brought blood cultures back and they're like, we're kind of amazed, but there's nothing here. You can go home. Isn't that amazing? So that's beautiful. Um, encourage you to seek the Lord in prayer. He does answer prayer and just an amazing thing. I want to encourage you as well. I know uh, James mentioned it, but Bob and Melissa Hill are here, our missionaries in Scotland. We're so thankful they're here. If you have a chance, stop by their table afterwards just to even, you know, a lot of times we're like, <laughs> when you see people at church, you're like, no, no, I don't want to talk to anybody. Just leave me alone. Be bold, be courageous, go up, say hello. You're not signing up for anything, but you can encourage them and say, hey, we're thankful for you. It's tough being out there um, and serving the Lord uh, full time in another country. And so a word from you just to say hello and encourage them. How can I pray for you? Real simple, if you have some time after church, stay for the lunch upstairs and hear a little more about what they're doing. <clears throat> so I'm gonna start with this, this frame. I pulled this out of the closet. It used to hold something, I don't know, important, I think in our house. Now it's not a frame we use very often, but I want you to just think about a frame this morning. How many pictures did you take yesterday on your phone? 30, 40, none. I think I probably took 30 or 40 because we had a soccer game. My parents were in town. So it's like, you know, and now with our phones, we can hold them up and just press it down. So you want to make sure you get it. You don't have to wait till you develop the film to see if you got it or not. You just hold it down. Probably get it. Got something there. Okay, let's move on. If you could have a picture of Jesus today, the real him. Maybe a moment in his ministry or him in heaven right now, seated at the right hand of God in all of his glory, and you could capture it, what would that be? What would it look like? Would you hang it in your house? Would you carry it around with you all day long? Would you show your friends? Would you say, look at this? If you could get a picture where it's like, hey, Jesus, just... Let's get a selfie. What would that look like? Today, we have some guys who walk up to Jesus and they are coming with this. They got their own frame and they want Jesus to fit into the frame, their frame. Let me show you what I mean. Luke 20, verse 27, there came to him some Sadducees. This is another political religious group like the Pharisees. So just think Republicans, Democrats, something like that. Okay, pretty much. I mean, they are a political group back then with a little bit of religion, you know, salted on top. 
That, that's what you're looking at. To which sometimes you're like, Lord, come on. How did you know to put this in the Bible? So there came to him a very intense political religious group, the Sadducees. Now listen to this. Luke wants you to know this right away. Those who deny that there's a resurrection. They deny it. They ask him a question. So that's, that's their frame. We deny the resurrection. That's their frame. And they asked him a question saying, somebody really wants to get you. <laughs> it's okay. You know how many times I've had my phone on in place? I can't even count. <coughs> Teacher, Moses wrote for us that this is the most bizarre little story in all of scripture. And somehow I'm so lucky to always land these passages. Here we go. Why can't it be Joe this week? Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife, but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife. He died without children. The second took her. He died. Third took her. He died. All seven left no children and died. Afterward, she died. This is exciting, isn't it? <laughs> in the resurrection, which we don't believe in, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. So the Bible gives us characters that we can say him. I, I recognize what he feels I feel that. You open up the book of Psalms. If you've ever wondered, is it okay to feel sad? Today is National Depression Awareness Day. Is it okay to admit that? You better believe it. I hope you do. I hope you are seeking the Lord. I hope you're also seeking professional help. That's why we have it. The Lord has given us those things. It's okay to say, I'm sad. I'm anxious. I'm struggling. I'm doubting. This is awful. What's going on? God, where are you? Psalm 73 is one of my favorite psalms because the whole first half of the psalm is this guy saying, have I been following you for no reason? If I, did I make a mistake to actually say I'm a Christian, to follow you, God? And here's what he does. And you may do this too. He starts looking around. He goes, look at that guy. This is in the psalm. Look at that guy. He didn't have a care in the world. He's eating steaks. He's got a big old house. Got a land cruiser. He's got no problems. And you know what else, God? He shakes his fist at you. He says, Bleh. I'm living it up, Lord, and you don't even know. The guy in the Psalm says, and my life stinks. Is this what it means to follow you? Did I make a mistake? It's pretty much what the middle of the Psalm says. Did I make a mistake? I don't know about you. I'm not going to tell you what it, how it ends because I want you to encourage you to spend your own time in the Word of God. Psalm 73, write it down. Spend some chair time this week. Open it up. Middle of the book, you're going to be like, I can't believe this happened. I want to know, Lord, is this okay to feel this way? The Psalm says, yeah. So you identify with that character. The Bible presents him and says, look, normal activity, normal behavior Sometimes, though, it gives us a character like the Sadducees, like these political guys, 
that are a little too close to home. We'd rather not identify with them. We don't like them. We don't like to be like them, even though we kind of are. <clears throat> this is why God's word is so cool. Mariah said, may your word cut deep today. I actually wrote this in my notes. God's spirit wields this sword like a surgeon's scalpel in our hearts. And he knows exactly where to cut. The Sadducees are the group that I identify with, but I would rather not. And I'd rather not anybody know that I identify with them. I want to say, what a bunch of tools and jack wagons. How could they be so dumb and worldly and dense and caught up in their own wealth and political power? And yet, how can they be so much like me? <clears throat> you ask Jesus, why this weird story? Why are we getting an inside view of these guys and their frame? Because God says, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, that's right, you. Yeah, you need to hear it. They had a picture of Jesus. They had a frame they were providing. Their own Jesus frame. You must fit within the dimensions that we give you. You will possibly have a spot on my wall. May not be the living room though. I may put you in the hallway. I may put you in the closet, Jesus, if I get upset with you. So what was their frame? What did their frame look like? Opposing group to the Pharisees, they only believed in the first five books of the Bible. They did not believe in the resurrection. Luke wants to make sure you know that. So what does that mean? They believed in here and now. What you see, pinch that, knock on that, drink that, that's it. Everything you see is all there is. So, if there are those who deny the resurrection, the Sadducees, if you deny the resurrection, you believe this is all there is, life on this planet, for whatever amount of time you are lucky enough to get and to enjoy, that's it. So you might as well live it up. Or as the Bible says, eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow you're dead. It's actually in the Bible. It's actually in the Bible several places. Isaiah 22, 13 is, is one that it's very directly that quote. And what's interesting is God is saying, hey, judgment is coming because you keep ignoring me. You are walking away from me. Judgment is coming. But you know what you're saying? Live it up, eat, drink. Tomorrow we die. Is that true? Is that true? We can't see anything but what's right in front of us, Jesus. So if you can find a way to fit into my frame for this life, then I might consider letting you hang somewhere nice in my house. So it's not the first time this has happened in the Bible, but are they serious about getting an answer? No, they don't believe in the resurrection. They're asking a question about the resurrection, something that they don't even believe in. So what they're trying to do is once again, stump him Cast doubt, get him in a confused state, twist him up, unsure, throw shade. They aren't interested in what happens in the resurrection. They don't believe in it. They want to make fun. They want to mock him. They want to ridicule him. This may happen for you, people in your life. 
The only problem is you can't do this to Jesus. You won't be successful. You can't stump him. And it's this kind of a riddle that they present. They actually presented this little story to a lot of people. They like to throw this at the Pharisees. You believe in the resurrection? Well, what about this guy with seven brothers, you know, who had one wife? So Old Testament law for marriage was to provide for somebody if they lost their spouse. It wasn't meant to be some weird thing. It was, hey, you lost your husband. You know what? Why don't you take care of her? Because they didn't have a way. I'm going to go out and work at Walmart then. Couldn't do it. They didn't have any food. They had no way to provide. And so at the time, the culture of the time said, this is a law that God is establishing so that people can be cared for. So they took it, they twisted it up. Let's take their story. Let's just entertain it for a minute and let's see what Jesus does with it. So she has a husband, he dies. The brother marries her to provide for her, take care of her. He dies. Another brother marries her, he dies. All seven. There's either a bit of comic relief here or it's an episode of CSI Jerusalem. (laughs) Because everybody that marries her gets killed. Imagine the seventh brother. (laughs) I don't, I don't, uh, I do. Like, like, you're going to die. And so I imagine the call goes down to Jerusalem homicide division. Yeah, it's me. There's another one. You're kidding me. Nope. Same lady. Better get down here. Where is she hiding the bodies? Okay. So it's kind of funny. This one thing, but let's reframe. Let's reframe the Sadducees attempt to catch Jesus and kind of fit him into their picture. So I want to show you a work of art and see if anybody, anybody recognize this? It is called, very clever name, Girl with Balloon. (laughs) It's an artist in London, very famous artist named Banksy. Now Banksy, you don't know what he looks like. He's stayed, it's kind of part of his whole character and persona. You don't know his identity. He puts these He's done this several times. That's also his. There's always hope. Um, People love this so much like Justin Bieber got it tattooed on his arm. You know, people are like, ooh, that's awesome. Uh, it's, It's street art, but he's very famous. And he will attach it many times to a cultural thing. Like when Syria was happening with lots of refugees. So he attached, he modified the the painting to look like a Syrian refugee little girl. So, hey, I'm going to raise awareness. I'm going to use this. People love this guy. So... One of Banksy's girl with balloon, he painted it on a canvas and it ended up in Sotheby's auction house in London. So let me set the scene. There's actually a video of this. If you want to find this online, people just schmoozing the rich. I mean, they're literally clinking their champagne glasses, eating hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> like it's that, it's that kind of moment. They're all standing around about to spend, you know, a couple million on some works of art. Girl with the balloon comes up for auction. They start ringing the numbers. Da-da-da, da-da-da, da-da-da. $1.4 million sold. A sound starts beeping and the painting starts shredding through the bottom of the frame. And you, if you look this video up, everybody goes, ah, oh, what's happening? 
it's just, yeah, and it, a lot of people, lots of interpretation on why did he do that? Why was going on? Because he basically, he picked the frame. Banksy said, I've got a work of art and I have the frame. He wanted to pick the frame. So there's, there's a ton of interpretation out there, cultural interpretation. But I want you to think about Banksy when you think about the Sadducees coming to Jesus. We picked the frame, Jesus. We want to know if you can fit in here. My frame, my house, my way. I decide where or even if you get to hang on my wall or if I shred you altogether. I decide, Jesus. Let's see how Jesus responds to this approach. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead, they don't get married. They're not given in marriage for they cannot die anymore because they're equal to angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, I can almost hear Jesus like change the tone in his voice. The fact that there is a resurrection, even Moses showed, and I love this little phrase right here from Luke, you know, in the passage about the bush, because they didn't have verse numbers. And so Jesus is basically like, you know, the one, uh, the one, the shrub where I'm in the shrub, that one. I love that, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, teacher, you have spoken well. They no longer dared to ask him any question. Notice Jesus shifting the whole conversation, twisting it, moving their hearts, redirecting them. But Jesus says something here that bothers me. I don't know if it bothers you. People who live on planet earth, they get married. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. Wait a minute. What? Nobody's married in heaven. When I first read this, I will be honest, it was one of the first times I thought, oh man, heaven sure sounds like a letdown. Now, I know I've read the Bible enough to know that that's not a good thought, but I did think it. I was like, what? You kidding me? How many of us have our own frame? Because I think it's, there has to be something I'm missing. It has to be my own frame that is causing me to not understand what God is saying, what Jesus is saying about heaven. If I think it's going to be lame, <clears throat> excuse me, there's something wrong with my frame. Jesus, I got you a nice frame. I do like you. I, kinda, I love you. I think I love you. <clears throat> and I have a pretty good place in my life. I let you hang in the living room. But I have some issues with what you just said. It kind of bothers me. So at first glance, this sketches a picture of heaven that might look like this. I imagine myself walking into heaven. And I see this girl. And I say, hello, fellow citizen of heaven. Nice to see you. you. You look familiar, but I can't know you because nobody's allowed to know anybody here. This is my wife from, from earth. <laughs> How's your eternity going? Good. Nice to meet you. <laughs> it's horrible. The whole thought of it is like, what? This can't be what you mean, Jesus. And I'll just say this. Apart from salvation, 
The greatest gift I've ever received is Lisa. The greatest gift. So Lord, how can you be like, yeah, I gave you that there, but pff, not going to need it. You're assigned your number, 1.254443212568, citizen, have of heaven, yay. <laughs> Can't be what he means. So what is he trying to say? Remember the frames, okay? Remember your frame. And also remember who's asking the question. Jesus responds many times to people who are standing in front of that. It doesn't mean that God's word is not applicable. It is, and it translates, and it time travels, but you have to see sometimes what he's saying to the people who are asking, who aren't really interested in the resurrection, who are just trying to nitpick at him. But what's the rest of the Bible say about the resurrection, meaning the afterlife? What happens after this? And the people in general in that location? Well, they're described specifically as people. They have names. Their actions on earth are remembered and actually part of what holds them accountable to what's going to happen in the afterlife. It doesn't disappear. So that means all of your moments on earth, yeah, they travel with you. It's a part of who you are. I love this one. The promises of the gospel and eternity here in the book of Acts are for you and your children. That means my family, right? Names, Chad, Lisa, Maya, Caleb, Abigail, like the names of those for me and my children, right? Which by the way, if you're looking for something to pray for a family member or a child who is wayward, maybe stepped away, you open up to the book of Acts and you say, you said it right here. These promises are for me and my children's children and my family, Lord, do it. That's a prayer. Stretch your hand out to heaven for that one. Ask him to do it. It's specific though. What does it tell me? Family's a big deal. Family's a big deal to Jesus. It's not gonna erase it including what happened between you and your spouse, one of the most important events probably in your life. How about Mary and Martha when they lose their brother? Do they say, well, we're not gonna know him. That's it, right? That was everything? No, what does Martha say to Jesus? I know that I will see my brother again in the last day, the resurrection, the afterlife. Jesus is all about family. It's a big deal. So, what do we do with this? Will God take away something we enjoyed in this life and be like, sorry, tough beans, that's it? No, I think what he's saying is, I can't even put into language how much more you will experience in relationship with me and with each other. So much more than you could ever think or imagine. Not that you'll lose, so much more. The consummation of the kingdom of God. So think about the things that we love here. Marriage, if it's not in a lot of, it's odd, a lot of times, yeah, we're torn up, we're broken, we're fallen people, we mess it up. But when it's God's grace is on it, marriage is amazing. Family, friendships, food, come on. Play, beautiful places, history, stories, art. Did I say food? <laughs> Do you think for one second that God who created these things for you to enjoy is going to prepare a place for you in the future that is bland, boring, no beauty, no fun, no happiness. I don't know you. Hello, citizen. Hello, citizen. Yay, we're in heaven. No way. 
That is never what God is saying. You look at scripture, it's not the same way. It's glorious, it's amazing, it's so much more. So look at the next part of his answer when he says, no marriage, not given in marriage because they cannot die anymore. And if you think about it, it's one of the things, provision, providing for, having relationships, they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Family, family found in the Trinity, being a part of that. They can't die anymore. Just let that sink in for a minute. So the Sadducees didn't believe in this idea of resurrection. They only believed the first five books of the Old Testament were true. So Jesus said, okay, let me give you a passage from the first five books of the Old Testament. Since you like that one, let's do it. And so that's when he says, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Is the God of, are they dead? Yes, at that point. Is he still their God? Yes, not was, is. They're alive. They're alive and well. Their names are still their names. Their memories, still there. Personalities, still there. Intact. Some of them even show up in the New Testament. Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Who is it? Citizen 104 and Citizen 107? No, it's Moses and Elijah. It's them. It's the real dudes. He's like, oh yeah, look, that's Moses. His face looks funny. But it's really them. But they don't believe this. They struggle. Jesus is saying to them, look, resurrection is real. And I don't know if you knew this. Did you know that everybody's resurrected? Even if you reject Jesus your whole life and you're like, bah, forget that. No way. Resurrection happens for everybody. Some to eternal joy and life with the Father, some to eternal condemnation. You are aware and living. Resurrection is real. And you know what? Just imagine Jesus talking to the Sadducees. You know this? You need to do something with this. Because I'm not fitting in there. I don't fit in there. Become worthy to attain to the age to come and the resurrection that you don't believe in. Because as the Bible tells us, you're resurrected. So how do you become worthy to attain to that age? In his answer, and Jesus does this often, you ask a question, Jesus gives an answer that both shows you the problem, makes you ask another question, and gives you the answer in himself. I am the answer standing right in front of you. How can I attain to the resurrection? Jesus, I don't know how to do that. That won't fit in my frame. What am I supposed to do? Well, let's keep reading. Jesus is now going to ask his own question. You ready? Verse 41. <clears throat> He said to them, nobody prompted this. How can they say that Christ is David's son? Christ is the word for the Messiah, the anointed one, the one to come. How can they say that the anointed one from heaven, somebody divine is actually the son of somebody who lived on earth? How can that happen? David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord, the God of Israel said to my Lord, the Messiah, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord. So how is he his son? Now I will tell you, and this is me when I spend time in God's word. And sometimes I get to this place where I'm just like, sorry, Lord, you need to help me. Help me 
find what are you trying to say to me? What are you trying to say to us this week? And as I asked, it's because it's kind of a little bit of a complicated passage. And what I felt like the Lord was saying was, you got to get me out of that frame. In your mind, you get me out of that frame. I don't fit in frames. He poses the question to say, how can they say that Christ is David's son? In other words, what's the Bible say about the Messiah? And if they asked, if they asked the Sadducees or the Pharisees, what would they say? They'd say, well, he's going to be a son of David. How? How can he be of human descent? But David calls him Lord, so how is he his son? So Jesus is quoting from a Psalm 110, which everybody knew and everybody knew it pointed to the Messiah. So what's he saying about the coming Messiah? He will be both of human nature, fully man, the son of David. He'll come from a human line and he will be of eternal existence which breaks our brains. He will be both God and yet born in a human line. That's Psalm 110. That is hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus. The Bible's telling you he will be God in the flesh. How do I capture that and hang it on my wall? Nobody asked him this, but it's a better question. It's a better question than how about marriage and seven brothers and this person dying? And Jesus is like, mm mm I'm not going to go there. I'm going to redirect, as he often does, to the question, the only one that matters. And honestly, the whole gospel of Luke has been asking this question again and again and again in a different way for you to answer. What is the question? Who is Jesus? Where did he come from? Is he the Lord? Is he also human? Was he born of a woman? And if I'm asking if he's human, can he be killed? Can God be killed? Jesus is giving you the question. And he says to you, ask me. Really, ask me. Okay, Jesus, where did you come from? Really, where did you come from? Think about the small frame and the not so prominent place that the Sadducees wanted to put Jesus. The closet, maybe a yard sale, maybe shred it altogether. Jesus is reframing. Wrong question. Wrong frame, I can't, I won't fit in there. Grace doesn't wait for us to ask the questions. This is one of the most beautiful things. God isn't standing around saying, Chad, come on, just ask, please, please ask. Do you know what Jesus does? He looks at these people. They're asking him the wrong questions. They're asking silly riddle questions about the resurrection and marriage. And he says, Fine, I'm just going to ask it for you. How can I be the son of God and the son of man? I'm going to ask, I'm going to put something there for you to see. He won't wait for you to finally step out of your pride, have pure motivations, think clearly, act wisely, say, you know, tell me, Jesus, who you are. He says, no, grace just goes ahead and asks the question for you. And he says, who am I? How can I be the son of David and the Lord? I'm so thankful that Jesus doesn't wait for me to ask the right questions. The Spirit actually prays the right questions for me. The Spirit actually prays the right questions for you. You're struggling with doubt right now. You're struggling with maybe even spending any time with Him. You barely can be here. You're, you don't even know if this is real. Do you know what's happening behind the scenes? The Spirit of God, grace, is interceding for you right now, praying that you would come into the fullness of who Jesus is. He's asking the questions for you. So right here we have Jesus just saying, you know what? 
You're killing me. So I'm just going to ask the question for you. I'm going to ask you, what are some examples of a cheaply framed Jesus in your own life where you're not asking the questions, where Jesus looks at you and says, you know what? You need growth. You need help. What's your frame look like? How do you view him? Here's some. This Jesus in here is just a golden ticket. I've got a golden ticket. I'm going to heaven. That's all I need. That's all I needed. Or maybe Jesus is just a high moral standard for you to live up to. He's the standard for goodness and kindness and niceness, but he's no more than an ancient book of ideas. His words in person are something to strive for. Sure. But he's really like Mount Everest. What do we do with Mount Everest? We look at it in pictures. We see it on videos. Has anybody in here been to Mount Everest? You been there? Did you climb it, Brenda? Okay. If that was true, like I'm just going to let you preach right now. <laughs> but it's not something that we're like, yeah, I'm going to do it. We're like, I'm a sugar loaf kind of guy. <laughs> right? And I'm not even like a real sugar loaf. Like I'll stand at the flat part of Sugarloaf and look at it. I'm not crazy enough to actually climb up there. You know, and if I do, like there better be like 20 ropes attached to me and like 15 people belaying, you know, because I'm scared. <laughs> Jesus isn't just this. So we, so we think that's, that's the way I frame him. Yeah, I guess I, I'm trying hard, but he's Everest. How can I do that? I'm just going to stay down here with Sugarloaf. Or maybe Jesus is in case of emergency break glass. That's your picture. That's how you framed him. I guess I'm really going to need him at the end, but I don't really need him now. So when eternity comes and when I'm about to die, I'll break the picture. I'll break the glass and that's my Jesus. We have a two-dimensional image of Jesus. A snapshot, a cheaply printed reproduction that eventually ends up in the closet. We miss all of the depth all of the complexity and not the kind of complexity that causes your mind to be twisted, but just vast nature of who he is. Great, an ocean of infinite greatness and awesomeness to move you to worship. So I've said before that you guys know this, I like to uh, go around the lake a couple times a day, rollerblade, um, because my back and my knees can't take running that much anymore. And so I do rollerblading, doesn't hurt very much. But I get a lot of this is happening in my head as I'm going around. And so sometimes people wave to me and it's like I'm 10 yards past. I'm like, oh, you know, and I wave. I've also learned, and you guys have known this if you've been around those lakes, there's a side to be on and a side to pass on. So when a bike comes or whatever, usually... People know to be on the right side. But every once in a while, you got people who are like spreading out over the whole path. And so I tried the normal thing, coming behind people on your left. What happens? They move left. <laughs> I'm like, that doesn't work. And so then I tried the whole don't say anything. I'll just see where they're going to be and I'll just whip past them. But then I scared them so much that people yelling at me. So that didn't work. So then I started maybe 25 yards out. I start like turning my wheels. That causes people to flip out, but it works. They're like, <laughs> they do this. You have husbands grabbing their wives and pulling them to the side. So that's my system. That's what works. It, it kind of, you see people and they're like, oh, here comes the, the scrape. But the other day I took out a little boy. 
<laughs> I didn't hit him. I just scraped my wheels. And I was, they were way in front of me. They were coming towards me, these little kids. And they were like all on these little scooters. And that boy in the front in the lead, his head was down and he was just chucking like this, just having the greatest time in his life. I'm like, I finally turn it. He looks up and goes like that, (laughs) just bites it. He's crying, he's bleeding. And I'm like, oh my, I'm the worst person in the world. So I stop and I'm like, put my hand on his shoulder. And there's this one little girl who's like the mom of the group. She goes, it's okay, you can cry. Everybody cries, it's all right. Are you hurt? Oh, look at that. You know, so she's, I'm like, okay. So I'm telling him and so I do the, the dad thing. I distract. I'm like, hey, I wiped out one time on the other side. I was bleeding all over the place. <laughs> And I was, but he looked up and there's like a little crocodile tear coming down. He's bleeding and he's like, listening to me. I'm like, yeah, it was awful. And so then I'm like looking at him, trying to get him to laugh. I'm like, how many fingers am I holding up? And I was doing that. <laughs> he's like. <laughs> so eventually I see he's okay. And I notice he has a t-shirt on. And on the back, it says, oh, the depth of the wisdom and riches of God. I said, hey, I know that verse. That's an awesome verse. That's St. Paul in Romans. And he goes, I guess. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, well, I'm glad you're okay. I think some of us with our frames try to fit God in there. And we find ourselves saying that. When Paul basically is saying, there is no frame Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, untraceable his ways. And he could add in parentheses, and yet he lives inside my heart. There is no frame. If Jesus stays inside our cheap frames that we have decided upon because they're safe, our culture has created for him because that's palatable. People are fine. No waves are made. But If you get rid of the frame, you will realize that he truly cannot be contained. People come to him, Sadducees come to him and they got their frame. I got this really important question. I'm going to get you. I'm going to find you. Jesus says, you know, just think about it. The one who holds the oceans in the palm of his hand is standing there listening. Holds the oceans in the palm of his hand. The stars are named. He's standing in front of them. So what should we do? How should we respond? Jesus, I don't want a picture of you. I want you. Get rid of the frame. Realize that Jesus does want to give you all of himself. And he has no edges, no borders, no crop marks, no two-dimensional qualities that can be put behind glass or tucked away in a closet. He is eternal. He's eternal and he's working something in you, if you're willing, that is eternal as well. I love the gracious nature and the kind love of Jesus. And so even in these intense moments where he could easily just be like, you guys are idiots, I'm not talking to you. He doesn't. He talks to them. He tells them really important things. He stays with them. And so I imagine, and I just kind of see, because I keep reminding you, there are people among these groups who don't know him yet that will. And I see him saying, hey, you want to talk about the resurrection? Hold that thought. 
Give me a week. Let's pray. Lord, I cannot think of how many frames I have brought to you. (laughs) Things that I have insisted upon. You have to fit in this understanding. You have to do this. And Lord, you're so gracious to break all of them, to help me to toss them aside and to say, whatever, (laughs) just just do it, Lord, whatever you want to do. I ask for your spirit to begin prompting us to toss those frames aside and to change our questions. And if we don't have the grace to ask the right questions, thank you, Lord, that you are asking them for us. God, give us a glimpse of your glory. Give us a glimpse of our future, that it is so much more. It will be so great and unimaginable. I'll just hear your heart, Lord, even as we lift our voices. Spirit of God, move throughout this room. Soften hearts. Get rid of hardness. Give us tenderness instead. Move us past the shallows into the deep. Let us hear your voice. Let us respond. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.